Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about the first time we've seen a non-human animal use a form of hello and goodbye, how our planet's orbit helped life survive back in the days of Snowball Earth, and a technique that could help you master certain skills twice as fast. Let's satisfy some curiosity. If you ran into an acquaintance on the street, you'd probably say hello before launching into a conversation. And you'd probably also say goodbye when it was over. To do otherwise would be rude. Well, for the first time, scientists have discovered apes following their own unwritten rules of politeness. It turns out that our primate cousins use versions of hello and goodbye, too. And that's a big deal. For this study, scientists wanted to find out whether apes had what's called joint commitment. That's a mutual sense of obligation individuals have when they're working on a shared goal. In humans, that process can be anything from two children agreeing to play together to a venture capital firm agreeing to fund a startup. Scientists thought that joint commitment was unique to humans, but this new study finds otherwise. To find this out, scientists analyzed more than 1,200 recordings of chimpanzees and bonobos grooming or playing with one another. These interactions often began with some signal of initiation, like locking eyes, butting heads, or holding hands. Chimps greeted each other 69% of the time, and bonobos did it 90% of the time. It was even more common for the apes to give a goodbye signal that told their partner they were ending playtime. The chimps gave a formal sign-off 86% of the time, and the bonobos did it 92% of the time. Bonobos used greeting and goodbye gestures more than chimps in both cases. Researchers say that has to do with their social system. Chimps establish and maintain their ranks through physical violence, whereas bonobos tend to be more peaceful. Wink. Bonobos were also more flexible with their etiquette. They abbreviated or completely skipped greetings and goodbyes with closer companions. And you probably do this too. You're more likely to give a quick nod when you meet up with a friend, but you would give a more formal hello and handshake to someone you've just met. Both chimpanzees and bonobos are closely related to us, so studying their behavior teaches us about our own. Communicating intentions and getting buy-in from others is key to human innovation. It's allowed us to do everything from building families to establishing nations to going to the moon. Learning that our closest primate cousins have similar customs is a big step in understanding where they came from. So, cut yourself some slack if you can't stop doing a goofy wave at the end of your Zoom meetings. Your primate brain seems to be primed for it. With how hot our summers have been, it's hard to believe that the planet could have ever been in a state that scientists called Snowball Earth. But that's exactly what many scientists think. Around 700 million years ago, the entire surface of the Earth was completely frozen solid. The conditions were harsh, yet life survived. And a new study may explain how. In the 1960s, scientists found rocks that showed evidence of vast sheets of ice near the equator in the Precambrian period, 700 million years ago. That's how the snowball Earth theory came to be. But then new evidence exposed some problems with the theory. 
Mineral formations were found from the same time period with what looks like evidence of flowing water. According to the snowball earth theory, the earth should have been too cold for the water to melt. There were other problems with the theory, too. I mean, if Earth was completely frozen, it would be tough to explain how life survived during that time. But the hypothesized snowball Earth period is in the Precambrian era, and that's the time period that came immediately before the Cambrian explosion, where the complexity and variety of animal life skyrocketed. So there's evidence that the Earth was frozen at one point, and evidence that it wasn't. To solve this conflict, scientists started looking for a new theory. And now an international team of scientists has found one. They looked at kilometer-thick iron and silica rocks in the Australian outback. These massive rocks formed on the ocean floor from hydrothermal vents back when Australia was much closer to the equator than it is now. Because ice sheets cut off the ocean from the oxygen in the atmosphere, the iron didn't oxidize and that meant it was able to accumulate in the rocks. Those rocks show evidence of ice all the way to the equator. But they also preserved some additional information about Earth's orbit. That's because iron becomes magnetized when it's in a magnetic field, like from the solar radiation that reaches Earth from the sun. The scientists found that the Earth's orbit changed during that time. But they also showed evidence of something else. Climate cycles. These climate cycles would have caused the ice sheets to advance and retreat. The research suggests that despite the frozen environment, there were actually pockets of liquid water that would have allowed life to survive during this extreme period. There are still many questions about Snowball Earth that scientists have yet to answer. But this new evidence is improving our scientific knowledge of the history of our planet. Researchers have found a technique that could help you learn certain skills twice as fast. This is one of the first stories we ever covered on Curiosity Daily, so we remastered it in case you missed it the first time around. And here it is. Cody, what's your best method at learning something super quickly? Practice makes perfect? Yeah, that's generally the rule, but researchers from Johns Hopkins University did that rule one better, especially for motor skills. Here's the secret. Practice different versions of the motor skill you're trying to master instead of just doing the same thing over and over again. You know, like practice makes perfect. The lead researcher said, quote, If you practice a slightly modified version of a task you want to master, you actually learn more and faster than if you just keep practicing the exact same thing multiple times in a row. You and I are both musicians, right? We both did the music school thing. Sure. Where you just spend lots of time in a practice room. Yes. Trying to play the same thing over and over. So many Hours. (laughs) Yeah, we both probably know what this is like. You can't just practice a scale over and over and over and expect for it to be perfect because there are always one or two notes that just your fingers can't really hit. And so instead, you practice different orders of the scale. You start at different notes and go from there and practice it in a bunch of different ways, kind of attack it from a bunch of different angles. And then your fingers figure it out. And that's really the key. Athletes will do it by maybe if you're a swimmer, you'll practice stroking with just your arms or practice stroking with just your legs. And then when you put it all together, your brain is synthesizing it differently. Right, exactly. And same thing with team sports. This is why people do drills and stuff like that instead of just playing a game every time they meet. The researchers call this reconsolidation. 
So consolidation is a sort of enhancement that happens after your brain has encoded a memory, but before that memory is recalled. You've already remembered it, but you haven't actually like called it back up into your memory. Reconsolidation happens when that consolidated memory is retrieved and goes through the same steps again. So it's consolidated again, but this time it's modified with new information. So that's what happens when you modify that motor skill, when you do it a different way, when you start the scale from a different note, when you do a dribbling drill instead of a full on game, you're reconsolidating the things you've learned in different ways. The researchers think that is what strengthens motor skills. The important thing is make the alterations subtle. So don't do something wildly different. Just make a small tweak to the action you're trying to learn, then make another small tweak and another small tweak until you've improved. That's cool. And it, it introduces variety so it's less boring. Absolutely. Yeah. Good times. Let's recap the main things we learned today. Well, we learned that for the first time, scientists have observed apes using a version of hello and goodbye to start and end their interactions. The majority of the chimps and bonobos they watched used some signal of initiation, like eye contact or a headbutt, and even more used a goodbye signal. This shows that humans are not the only species with a process of what's called joint commitment, and it tells us more about where that might come from. If you ever want to see joint commitment in action in adult humans, Outside the business world, games like board games. When my buddies and I sit down for a six hour board game, there is a joint commitment that is made. You do not play three hours of the game and then peace out. In 15 years of playing board games with my friends, I don't think anyone's ever just rage quit mid game. So gaming conventions can be an interesting experience because there's so many people that don't know each other, you know, so it's a little more tenuous. Yeah. I mean, jam sessions are the same way. I've been going to a lot of jam sessions since moving to Asheville. And, you know, there's an unwritten rule about getting up on the stage. You have to kind of get permission and then you you talk about what you're going to play and everybody has to agree on it. And there's a lot going on there for sure. A lot of unwritten stuff. Good times. Yeah. Well, we also learned that we might finally know how life survived on Snowball Earth, which is a period 700 million years ago when the planet was frozen solid. Evidence from rocks in the Australian outback, shout out to geology, and these are rocks that used to be part of the ocean floor, by the way, suggests that changes in the Earth's orbit and climate cycles during this time allowed for pockets of liquid water. And liquid water would have allowed life to survive, which is good for us. It's one of your, one of your geology stories again, Cody. You love it. I do. I really do. Just from looking at the iron, they were like, oh, yeah. I know exactly what happened. This is what I'm saying. Dude, I, look, I, I'm like you, listener. I have learned a lot in the course of doing this podcast. I'm not an expert in like neuroscience or geology or climatology or really anything. And, <laughs> and many of the most memorable, surprising stories that I think we've covered have come from the field of geology, which like I just as a guy that didn't know anything about it beforehand, I found that maybe the most unexpected because when you think geology, you think rocks. And that might sound lame on its face, but it's totally not. There's just so much cool stuff. It's so cool. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, also go to like any museum of natural history, right? And there's very pretty rocks. And it's just, it's all, yeah, there's good stuff. We also learned that if you're trying to master a motor skill, then try practicing different versions of that skill rather than doing the exact same thing over and over again. The stuff like starting in different places when you're practicing music or doing drills in team sports. 
And this might work because of reconsolidation, which happens when your brain retrieves a memory and it gets modified with new information. And doing this could help you master that skill twice as fast. I know that baby Ashley told all the musicians out there all the good ways to master a scale or something like that. But honestly, I'm going to say this is niche. But for anybody who is trying to learn their scales, if you're taking piano lessons or whatever, this is the thing that has let me master any scale really quickly. And it's exactly this process. What it is, play different rhythms. So maybe you start out playing eighth notes. Then maybe you do a dotted eighth sixteenth. Then maybe you switch around. You do a sixteenth dotted eighth. Then you do triplets. Then you do all those ones. That totally, oh, it helps so much. Little tip for you. And it also showcases the importance of drills in video games, especially competitive ones. This is part of the reason I've never gotten really good at like Super Smash Brothers. And I, I, I am useless in games like Street Fighter, Marvel versus Capcom, Mortal Kombat, all the fighting games. Just because like, like literally it behooves you to go into the training room and just practice the moves over and over again. I, I just can't bring myself to do it. I just want to play the game. Yeah, of <laughs> so, course. <laughs> you know, but but really, like, if you want to get into esports and you're listening, like, this legit, that's what you got to do. You just got to get in that room and just sit around wave dashing for a while, sit around learning how to throw the biggest fireballs, stuff like that. I don't have time for that, Ashley. I mean, you got to throw fireballs in the real world, you know, in life. Whoa. Throw those life fireballs. Here you go. <laughs> Today's writers were Steffi Drucker, Brianna Brownell, and Joni Folletto. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow and we'll throw you another life fireball to help you learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.